0: Beam Zwiggy Zwiggy Alakazam, and welcome to another episode of In the Area Podcast, a podcast where I, Zach Schiller, interview amazing people. I am in the area of. Everyone's got a little wisdom nugget to share, and it is my goal to dig up those nuggets, view them, and spread them. Today, I interview Grant Gary my upstairs neighbor and teacher of design thinking at the Vail Mountain School. We discuss discovering music in the digital age. Is TikTok a cool medium? We talk about Grant's interactions with David Sachs, the COO of PayPal. We go over Grant's time at the Stanford Business School and start diving into subjects like artificial intelligence and the convergence of climate change. If you enjoyed today's episode, press that follow button and join us as we uncover wisdom nuggets and gain wisdom. Recording live from Vail, Colorado, another episode of In the Area.
1: It's also, to me, not as clear anymore what's popular. You know, back in the day, in the 90s, I turned on Z100 in New York City. And it was the popular music station, you knew the top ten songs. Yeah. It's not that clear anymore what the kids listen to. Yeah, there's to. so
0: many avenues to find new music.
1: Yeah, which is beautiful, man, because like you can find your music, you know, like Spotify, like you'd like a few songs that you like, and it like sends you into like all these magical yeah. mystical lands of yeah, like so cool. subgenres and sub sub subgenres. Right. It's like, you know, death, indie funk rock, mm. German Nordic, like <laughs> northern star shit yeah. and you're like what like i didn't even know that was a genre but yeah, it's, good. it's good right it's great because you can find your your musical tastes but it'd be hard for me to figure out what the kids are really listening to i mean you can ask them yeah
0: tiktok but, tiktok would help you in that yeah i don't want to
1: waste my time on
0: tiktok <laughs> <laughs> i honestly downloaded it i d- i've already deleted it from my phone but I, really? I was yeah i was spending like an right before i deleted it i was spending an hour a day on this app it was it was just so it was so perfect for me because huh. it's an algorithm and it just learns what your watching behaviors are, and then it targets the perfect video for you. <laughs> Doesn't every that, swipe? Does that terrify you? I don't think I don't I don't dive into the thinking about it. I mean, I'm not I'm not like from the surface scared. I'm sure if someone started explaining why I should be scared, maybe I could be come around to being
1: scared. I'm not I'm not scared. Well, let me explain a scenario to you. Okay. 10 years from now, we have computers that are as smart or smarter than you. And they have all this data on what you like. And this computer has some sort of intention for you. It wants you to act in a certain way. And knows all your trigger points it gets you to do essentially what it wants you to do and you think it's your own thought
0: wow that sounds so, i mean to me that sounds so cool uh, <laughs> that sounds so cool I, I, but that that's like so, so out of my control you know what i mean <laughs> We're hopeless, yeah, we're hopeless. <laughs> yeah. yeah, your generation is screwed, yeah, bro. Yeah, I know.
1: My generation know. will be fighting the robots, yeah, and yeah. you'll be like we'll, dancing we'll, in the club with them. I will be, them. be the robot. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. But to yeah. get to get back, um, I'm curious. You you wanted when you when you had your teacher who had the uh, the big impact on you,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? You 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 eventually were like I want to spread I want to do this for other people. Yeah, has your vision of what you see for yourself expanded, or has it consistently been that's what I want to do? That's how I want
1: to spend my life. Well, you know it was funny. I I definitely tried other things. Like I was really good in dude. I was top of my class in engineering. I went to Stanford for grad school, and I thought I would start a tech company. I thought I'd be like the next Mark Zuckerberg or. Like when I was at Stanford, you got to understand the YouTube guys had just sold YouTube for $1.2 billion. Facebook was only at like 20 million users, if even that. Facebook had just moved to California. It was like the era of like whiz kid CEOs. And I was at least as smart as these guys, if not smarter. And I thought that I could just start my own thing. And I came really close a couple of times to a couple ideas that um, like someone got to it like a month before me. You know, like we were developing something and like someone launched it like a month before. Um, so I was really, I really was like what was an example of some of the uh you know PayPal? Yeah. So the 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 second in command, this guy Dave Sachs. Um, so I was developing an idea. So we came up I came up with this idea. I was like, I'm like sitting at Stanford and I'm like, I'm smarter than these motherfuckers. I'm like, what's the next thing? And I'm like, all right. And i I just like somehow came up with this idea. I don't know, I don't even know how it. I was like, wh- I would always just think, like, where, where's the trend in technology going? And I was just like, my brain just naturally, like, is able to synthesize very, very disparate pieces. And I was like, I don't even remember how I came up exactly with this idea. But I was like, what if I created a website where, like, you could go on and you create your family tree? And I think the reason I got to this was I was thinking about like, how do you spread things virally on the internet? And I was like, what if you I got you to make put up your family tree? And every time you put someone's name up, you just put their email address in. And then so you, Zach, would put in your sister, and your sister would get an email and be like, hey, Zach's building your family tree, help him out. Mm. But then everyone you put in, you'd put all their email addresses in. So maybe you put 20. But Then all those people go on, and they put in everyone they know on your family tree because you don't know everyone on your family yeah, tree.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And they put in their email addresses. Oh, got it. And all of a sudden, one person might end up adding five. It might it might spread to five hundred or a thousand people Dang. from one single user. So I was like, "Whoa, this is like really mind blowing shit." So me and my I told my buddy Raj about the idea, and he Raj. Um, he's Indian, but he was he uh, Indian American. He grew up in the Bay Area. And uh San Francisco Bay Area. And he was like, dude, I, I've got some cousins in India. Let's just, you know, let's let's round up like a few thousand dollars. We'll just pay them to develop this. <clears throat> so we're like, all right, dude. So we're sitting down, we're drawing up plans. And for some reason I went online that day and I typed in like family tree, something, and boom, up popped this site called Genie.com, G-E-N-I.com. And it was exactly what I had envisioned. I mean, like down to the T. And I was like, whoa, this is. Really, exactly what I envisioned, and I looked at who had started it, and it was the second in command at, at, at PayPal, David Sachs. Sachs. So, and and they had probably started about three or four months before we had, and I was like, "Fuck!" Like, and and they got all this press because they've got all these tech insiders, so they get all this press about it. The, the website goes so super viral; they like shut down. They reached like a million users in like, I mean, like ten days or something. It was insane, like you know. And that was the virality I had envisioned. And uh, I was like, well, I was like, I was like, they beat us, like fair and square. So I sent them an email. I was like, hey, guys, great product. I was building the same exact thing. Can I work for you? So I get an email back from Dave Sachs that day. He's like, dude, send me your resume. I ended up getting flown down there. It turned out they were in L.A. I, d- I thought they were in the San Francisco Bay Area. They were not. They're in L.A. They fly me down like three days later. They interview me. Oh, dude, this is a crazy story. I don't even know if I should tell this whole story. So, um, all right, I'll tell the whole story. <laughs> so it's, like, crazy, right? I literally getting flown down, and my friends are like, are you kidding me? Like, this is the hottest company in in the tech world. Like, it's blowing up faster than YouTube blew up, faster than Facebook was blowing up. Like, and they're like you have a job interview down there? Are you... F- kidding me so i go down there uh to fly into the burbank airport his his assistant picks me up in like a mercedes and she's like shooting the show dude i didn't even sleep the night before i was so nervous and for for some reason like i was so nervous on the flight for some reason the second i got in her car i like was just calm and we're driving to the you know we're driving up to la and We're driving like through the Hollywood Hills and everything. It's like gorgeous. And we're just having a good conversation. We get to the office. I go up and I just start meeting lots of people. So there's only like 15 guys in the company. And it was funny. In my head, I had visioned it was like people like running around with their hair on fire. It's actually a really really calm place. So I go in and I interview first with like one of these designers. And I'm I'm interviewing with the COO. And I interview with all these people. Like at one point, one of the designers is like, hey, man, let's go for a walk. We go down and we're walking on Sunset Boulevard, you know, it's like right in West Hollywood. And he's like, Hey man, he's like, this is like, this is the real deal, man. It's like, we're on Sunset Boulevard. Like, like I do. I saw Paris Hilton walking by here the other day. I'm like, well, is pretty wild. He's like, he's like, so where are you at? And I'm talking about my education. He's like, Oh, you already got an undergrad. He's like, look, drop out of grad school. He's like, there's plenty of like dropout grad school millionaires. And I was like, whoa, like these guys are like, these guys had all worked at PayPal. They were, these guys were all probably made quite a lot of money. And uh, uh, yeah, and he was a cool guy. We really connected. I, I went out to like, I went for coffee with the COO. Like every interview just went swimmingly well. Like there was a, one point in the day where they're like, all right, what we want to hire you for specifically is like customer service, like responding to emails like for customer service because we're getting like hundreds of emails a day, like probably an hour, um, and they're like, they're like, but you will, like, you will grow really quickly here, like that will turn very quickly into like a product management role because you'll be customer facing and you'll know what the customers want. So there was one point in the day where they had me actually respond to three mock emails, and looking back on it, I think I did a really shitty job. I was like really nervous, and I like I was like. Was, it was funny. I wasn't nervous the whole day, but then I did that. And I was like, I think I, I since I had been so tired from the night before, I almost had a little bit of trouble, like typing out my thoughts, like coherently. I kept like questioning the email. So I, I wrote these three emails, but it was like a really small part of the interview. It was literally like 30 minutes and I was there for like eight hours. Anyway, I got to tell you this is a really funny story. It's kind of inappropriate, but you, you can, you can publish this. It's fine. So for lunch. I very briefly meet Dave Sachs. And he's like, hey, we need to have an internal meeting. My fiance is going to take you to lunch. Dave Sachs is like in his 30s at this point, like his early 30s. So he sold PayPal to eBay for like a few billion dollars. Then he produced the movie Thank You for Smoking, which won an Emmy or an Emmy or an Oscar. I don't remember what it was. And he was living in Hollywood. His girlfriend's like 23 and, like, and I at the time, I was, like, 22 or 23. And like, I, I was not, like, I didn't, like, find her attractive or anything. And uh, so, but I'm, like, damn, this could, like, this could be a little weird. Like, she's taking me out to lunch. So, but whatever. Like, it was just, it's professional. It's business, dude. So, anyway, we go down to the parking lot. We get into her Porsche Cayenne. She proceeds to drive me around LA in like, like 110 miles an hour. She's like, brruh, brruh, like, like, like swerving around towards that. And I'm like, oh my God, dude, like we're going to, I hope this thing's well built because I'm going to fucking die. <laughs> oh my gosh. So <laughs> she, at one point, like, 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 like swerving out, and there's like a red light. Like, I'm like, we're, we're kind of, like kind of talking. She just turns to me and she goes, you have a girlfriend? And I'm thinking like, uh, so we go to lunch at like Houston's. Like Houston's was a big chain restaurant at the time. And like everyone's gorgeous and I'm like, dude, there's like beautiful women everywhere. And I'm like, this is like heaven. I'm going to be like a millionaire, like just like with like access to like, like Dave Sachs is going to be my friend. We're going to be like going to the clubs. Like I'm just going to like be like, I'm just going to end up with some gorgeous girlfriend who's like a supermodel from like the Ukraine or something, you know? So at one point after, after lunch, She's like, before we go to the office, she goes, I just need to go home real quick. This is another like, uh Like, uh uh-oh. So she's like driving up through the Hollywood Hills, like a gazillion miles an hour through these like windy streets. And she pulls into the driveway and she's like, wait here. And she leaves the car and and I'm like, looking at this house. And we're like, we're in the Hollywood Hills. We've got a whole view of L.A. And I'm like, why does this house look so familiar? Well, I ended up going home later and like reading a little bit and I was like, Oh my God, it's the house from Pulp Fiction where Uma Thurman overdoses on heroin. No way. (laughs) Yeah. He bought that house. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And when she opened up the garage door, there was a Pulp Fiction poster right there. Whoa. (laughs) I was like, this is tripping. Nuts, dude." dude. You know, and it's like, that's like, this is such like an LA experience, right? It's like, you're going to move to LA. You're going to have like a gorgeous girlfriend. You're going to have a ton of money. You're going to have famous friends, right? To, it's like, it's like everything. It's like the, the American dream incarnate. The end of the day, I meet David Sachs. He's the last person I meet with. I'm 22 years old. And I go in there and I think I said to him, so what's the deal? <laughs> Nice. <laughs> I literally sat down from Dave Sacks. I met him. And the first words that I'm out there, so what's the deal? And he just kind of goes, what's the deal? He goes, so – and he and he was actually like – he's like, so basically I've got to like talk to my investors, um, you know, so I can figure out like what kind of package we can give you. And he's like talking like in terms like he's going to hire me. And I'm like, holy shit, dude. Like this is for real. Like I'm going to get – whatever stock salary, I don't care. I'm yeah. going stock options. You know, I'm going to be a millionaire within a year. Like this thing's grown like gangbusters. So, um, and not only that, like it was a idea I believed in, but I was definitely at that point, like 22. I'm like thinking I'm going to be retired by the time I'm 25. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I, um, uh, I, th- you know, I thanked him. He kind of explained their strategy to me. I thanked him. I, I went home and, uh, yeah, I didn't hear from him for a few days. I thought it was kind of weird, and after like five days, I get this like really curt email, and it's like it's from him, it was from Dave Sachs. He's like, "Hey Grant, thanks so much for coming to interview. You interview, um, you know, we all thought you were really smart and really great, yeah, you know, but we decided to hire somebody with more experience in this type of position." And I was like, devastated. It's like what? Like no way? And uh, he's like, "But you know, stay in contact if you want a summer internship. You know, you can come work here." And- i was pretty i was pretty devastated i actually stopped going to class <laughs> so really I was like, yeah, that's how devastated you no were. i was ready to move to la oh no 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 like when i came back from oh, the oh interview, i see what you're saying you're yeah. like this is my friends were like so I'm what's in. up i'm like dude like he told me he's just gonna make me an offer and like that's it so like as far as i knew i was going to work for Dave right. Sachs in la i Damn. was getting, i was gonna immediately drop I'd only, out i'd only been at stanford for like three months whoa and it was like, this was like a Cinderella story. My friends were like, oh my God, like, this is really happening. Like, this is really happening. This is Stanford. This is shit happens like this at Stanford. And, uh, dude, I was crushed. I
0: was like, oh my God. That's not, I, I feel like they invested a lot in you for like one interview. Like how many people did they have in the company at the time?
1: Uh, probably 15 or less. Oh, wow.
0: Okay. Yeah. So it was pretty small. Yep. I, I wonder, is that, I wonder if that's like the strategy. Like the way, the way your day flowed, you know, this is like, you know, go ride around with my wife. She's going to show you around the city.
1: Oh, they definitely were like courting me to go work there. Of course. You know, that's part of like, yeah, of course that, that's for sure. But I don't think they interviewed that many more people for that position, but I, the guy they did hire was actually like a customer service, like expert. So I was like, okay, like I I can see that. Um, but yeah, that, that stung for a while. Ooh, did that, it, did it
0: hit your, like, where did it hit you? Did you not believe in your capabilities
1: for a while, for a period of time after that? Hmm. No, it wasn't that. Cause I was still doing, I was still at Stanford. I was doing really well. It, you know, man, my dad, my dad started his own company. My dad always said, he'd be like, you know. When I, he's like, I always knew like the, like an opportunity would come. And when it came, I had to just like take it. and like, you know, cause my dad grew up really poor in the Bronx. And I guess I kind of felt like, like, I really felt like that. I believe that actually as a kid a lot, I was like, yeah, like my opportunity is going to come. Like I just gotta, I, and when I see it, I just got to like grab it. And I felt like that was it. And like, when it didn't work out, it really shook my faith in the universe, man. You know, I really did think like, yeah, I think it really shook my faith in the universe, and like, wow, like maybe not everything is going to work out for me.
0: Whoa.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was it was pretty it was pretty like ground shattering, um, and I think yeah, it definitely messed with me for sure. I think it, it messed with me for a little while. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't regret it now. Now it's more like a funny story. Yeah, um,
0: but also those early failures are sometimes critical to like later success.
1: Right? That's what a lot of people say. I think I take failure to to I see failure as being a failure. Mm. And I always have. It's been very hard for me to see it um, from the yeah. distance. Mm. So yeah, that's interesting. I, 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 do
0: you even this story now? Do you still do you still view it as? Because I think it's more than a funny story. I don't. I don't think it's just a funny story.
1: Yeah, I do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just, just like you don't think the robots uh, are a uh, big oh, deal. Right, oh right, right. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Thank you, go, Grant. Yeah, I, I, I think may, maybe, that, maybe that, who knows, maybe that's like a reaction to it. Maybe I just like need the humor piece to feel okay about it. Mm. Um, but yeah, man, it's a, uh, yeah, I guess it was a good learning. I think it was a little bit of a learning experience of like, hey, man, not everything's going to get handed to you on a platter in life. And, uh, and I, I've got to say nothing was handed to me on a platter. Dude, I worked my ass off. From ninth grade through the, my senior year of college, Dude, I was nose to the grindstone. I was the hardest worker in the room. I was probably one of the smarter people, but I could always. If I wasn't the smartest, I could outwork everyone else. That was always my my ethic. Um, Same thing in college. So all through high school and then into your. Where did you do your undergrad? University of Vermont. Studied mechanical engineering, and I was the the top engineer. You know, it's like people like, oh, I graduated. You know, oh yeah, yeah, I graduated with like a three eight. I'm like, dude, I got a three, eight, six as an engineer. Like it, that is insane. Mm. It's that's nuts. So you just had a, you
0: were working all the time. You would go home from class and start working.
1: Oh, I actually had a pretty healthy balance. Really? Yeah. I, I had a pretty good social life in college, but I think I, I was definitely probably more school oriented than social life, but I had a great social life and really good friends. Wow. So yeah. do, you, do you, do you hold any regrets about how you lived your undergrad life? No. The only thing I think sometimes I'm like, oh, you know, maybe maybe it would have made sense to like invest more in like romantic relationships. I didn't really have any serious romantic relationships, Mm. but even still, I was like, dude, I'm not really sure I would have changed anything. I, I learned so much about like the fundamental principles of the universe that like still stay with me today. Like, what From do you
0: the, mean when you, like, what what would be one of those? Physics, chemistry, oh, just like, okay, literally nice. how the
1: universe works at, like, the atomic level is, like, fascinating, and like, how things evolved and, like, what a chemical reaction is. Like, all of that stuff was fascinating. Um, Yeah, it just really, really enthralled me. And I, I enjoyed the, I, I, I'm one of the few people who went to college because I enjoyed, like, actually learning. Like, it wasn't just for the degree. Like, I was fascinated by, like. The things I learned. So no, I don't really regret it. No. I, I mean, like I said, maybe I changed that one small thing, but even still, I, I don't really have much yeah. regret for that.
0: And then, and then how long after undergrad did you go to Stanford? Uh, right after. Like the next year.
1: Yeah. I, I took, I spent nine weeks in Europe and then I went, I came back to the New York, New York, got in a car with my dad and we drove across the country in three days. Wow. And then boom, nuts. Dropped in the middle of Stanford university. M- majoring in what? Uh, I studied management science and engineer engineering. Does, is that a double major? Was is,
0: no, is it, it, it one it, course? Is it's, it combined? it's
1: just a mouthful. <laughs> 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 it's, it's actually kind of a very broad topic. Um, you could kind of specialize within it. It encompassed a lot of things. There were some guys focusing on finance, some guys focusing on like building tech companies, an entrepreneur. Like I kind of focused on entrepreneurship um, and like how do you build a company with like a great culture? things of that nature. Mm. So it was fun.
0: That's cool. And does that inform you how how you look at VMS and how you view our management
1: now? You know, it's funny when I first started teaching, it really did. I saw all the the mismanagement and how everything was going. I don't think of it about it as much anymore. Um, but I do think that our, our, I've seen a lot of different school cultures, what I've learned is like, and I knew this from organizational behavior, what the people do at the top really affects the whole organization and they, they have a lot of power to either empower the people below them or, or be kind of authoritarian, you know, there's different types of cultures and they work for different kinds of people. I'm more of like a collaborative bottom-up kind of person, like let's innovate, let's do cool things. Um, yeah. So I think we've got a neat culture where we work right now. Like I don't feel like I need to be a boss where we work because I feel like I get to make all my own decisions. And I'm fine with that.
0: In the bottom in the bottom-up um philosophy, that, that could also be a, a management
1: style. Are are you oh, saying that? Yeah. Oh yeah. What well, what people don't realize is like bottom-up organizations are bottom-up organizations because the people at the top decided they were going to be. And But when you're in a bottom-up organization, if you've never been in a top-down organization, you don't realize that until you're in one where it's top-down and you're like, whoa, this sucks. And, you know, dude, bad management is probably the reason most people hate their jobs. (laughs) You know, most people can probably like their jobs if they had good managers. Really, the job of a manager is to ask one question, what do you need? Mm. That's it. If you just ask that question, what do you need? You're going to be a great manager. That's really all it's about. It's about how do I empower people to do the best work they can they can possibly do. That's all. It's simple. Like when I was at Stanford, William Perry, who was the Secretary of Defense, um, took a class with him, and he had this philosophy. He used to work at like I think it was IBM or one of the semiconductors, and he, he would call it management. It was the same as the Navy because he he was a naval commander, and he called it management by walking around. You just walk around, talk to people. How you doing? How's everything going? And when you kind of build those relationships, people tell you about the problems. so The problems don't become big problems. You catch them when they're small problems, because people trust you. And that's how you build a bottom-up org, is you build trust with the people who work for you, and you, you help, you empower them to solve their problems. And if you know, and if it's a really intractable problem, you take that problem on and bring it to the people above you and figure out how to solve it for the people below you. Mm-hmm. That's what a really good manager does. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of my education did definitely inform my philosophy. Um Yeah, and it's uh it's it's been yeah, it's been cool to see see the different cultures of schools. I think schools are very different than businesses, but what do you how so? In a school, there is a certain amount of, like, control you need over the kids. And we're lucky that we work in this school where the kids come in with a certain level of respect. But at the fundamental level, if a kid will not do what you ask them to do, you actually, the school won't function. And I know that sounds really basic. And to some other people, that sounds like, oh, you want the kids to be obedient. But no, that's not what you're asking. It's like I just want the kid to follow the directions. That like I'm gonna take this kid through a journey, a learning journey. But if they're not even willing to like at, do what I ask them, they can't go through that learning journey. And that's what had happened a lot in in the inner city schools in the Boston public schools. Is like the kids wouldn't they wouldn't even do what I asked them to do. They wouldn't even. I'd just be like, okay, can we just like read this thing? And if they won't even do it, the simplest thing you ask them to do, then you're totally screwed. So the, a school, here's what's weird is the teachers need to be a, a little more top down than a good company would be, but the administration needs to be really bottom up. So I think that's why schools don't function well. Because teachers, the best teachers usually become the administrators. And the best teachers tend to have a very top-down approach. So then those teachers think, well, I need to continue this top-down approach as an administrator. But there's a very fundamental difference between running an organization of adults versus running a classroom of kids. Wow. And most admin don't understand that. Mm. Mike gets it. He gets it really well. He really gets it. He's one of the few leaders I've ever seen that gets it on that level. Um, And it's actually very impressive. Mm. So, um, yeah, and it is is a fundamental difference. And it also depends what your organization is geared for. You know, there are some organizations where it's like, we need to produce these cogs as fast as we can. And in an organization like that, you don't really necessarily need a bottom-up function. It's like, I need you to follow steps one through seven, and we're gonna make these cogs. And you need to do one through seven as fast as you possibly can because you need more cogs because you need to make more money. But then there's organizations that are like, well, we need to innovate on these cogs. Right? These cogs are no longer selling, and we're we have a problem. And this happens to every organization. And that's the point in time where you're like, now we need to be bottom up so we could be innovative. But it's hard to switch between those two. Very hard to switch. Um, so that's why different organizations tend to be different or they have different divisions that kind of function differently. But usually organizations as a whole have a culture. And, you know, you're either an innovative organization or you're like a cog organization that you tend not to kind of have the same. You know, you look at Apple. Well, I Apple's maybe not the best example, but they they don't produce their iPhones. They create the iPhone. They design it, but they don't produce it. You know, the part that's producing, they're producing it in China. We're like, make more cogs. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think culture and and it's funny because Mike, we haven't really had the conversation, but I've heard him say, he's like culture trumps everything. And I agree. If you can create a great culture, um, you really like 80% of the way there.
0: And do you think when you're hiring, you should hire off culture, culture fit, or are there more elements, um, in in a new hire that you would look for?
1: So different organizations function differently, but I think you should hire for a cultural fit. But you also need to be careful that you're not just like, it's called like, what was it? Uh, Homosocial reproduction. Mm. People tend to just hire people like themselves. Yeah. So you need to be a little bit careful of that. If you want to be really creative, like you need a good culture fit, but you need some diversity. of And I don't, you know, I don't necessarily mean just racially. You need diversity of thought. Um, because in order to generate lots of good ideas, you need different perspectives because actually creativity. And this is one of the least understood things of creativity. Most creative ideas are actually just unique combinations of existing ideas. Mm. Most people don't understand that. Even music. Can you, okay. Yeah. Look at look at the way music evolves. It's like, you know, yeah. If you look at 1960 versus now, you're like, Whoa, that's crazy, man. How'd it go come so far? But if you look at it on a more granular level, it kind of makes more sense, you know. As the years went on, it's like, okay, well, you know, I don't know. They're like doop in the early early sixties, and then I, you know, you look at the Beatles. The Beatles just come. The, the Beatles are so creative because they combined all these different genres, right? They combined like blues and. You know, blues and maybe a little folk music and some bluegrass and some Indian Yeah, you know, they just talk all these different disparate things and they put them together uniquely. Um and most music then the next stage of music is just you take what's currently there and you add like another piece to it. And I think that's what's going on in music now. It's like look at how you create music on a laptop. You take one piece and then you add another piece to it. Like that's literally how music is created now. Um, and that's I think the core of creativity is just the combination unique combination of existing ideas It is not the creation of completely novel ideas. The idea of like a completely novel idea is just totally insane and probably going to come mostly from like basic science. But even then it's not even really a unique idea. It's usually based on like decades of research. Hmm. It just seems like an, it just seems like it's a novel idea because of the way it's packaged or presented.
0: I'm curious what you think about this. Um, I was on the phone with my friend the other night, and um, he was explaining to me that he recently came and uh, he discovered this idea that to be successful, you have to be at the top 1% of a very specific category or the top 20% of two two separate categories, combining the two. does that um, Does that ring true to you at all or...?
1: What does he define as very successful?
0: That's a great question.
1: I I I was, um. This is my
0: understanding that he meant monetarily, I guess, or, or like be, or but also
1: being at the top of that field. Yeah, I think I would agree. I mean, for sure, like top 1%, yeah. I mean, if you're, yeah, I mean, if you're going to be like someone who'd look to in your field, yeah, you need to be the top 1% for sure. And I've been there. I've I've been in the top one percent before in terms of engineering or whatever. And yeah, man, it's no hold bars when you're no holds bar when you're up there. It's so competitive. But once you get into the top one percent, everyone's in the top one percent for well, how, a reason. How did you know you were in there? Like I just how- always knew. I, I I mean, I was. It wasn't just like yeah, I was scoring really well on my tests, but it wasn't just that. Like I was able to really like. Combined really disparate. Like, I was, okay, I was top of, I was scoring all A's on all my engineering exams, but then I was going into a sociology class and I was getting, I was the smartest kid in the sociology class. And I don't, you know, I don't want to sound like an asshole, but like, we'd have these conversations and I expected those kids to be way smarter than me
0: because they have been studying your...
1: sociology for three years. Right. And I was like, I remember the first time I took a sociology class, I was a junior in college and I was like all nervous. It's like, oh man, like like these, these guys have been doing this for like three years. They all probably debate all the time. They're all really smart. And I went in there and I was like, it made perfect sense to me. It was like all of a sudden, like all these like crazy things in society that I couldn't understand had like structure. And I was like, whoa. And it just immediately made sense to me. And I would write these papers and my teachers would just be like, this is amazing. Like I've never seen anyone write a paper like this before. Wow! So I think that's kind of like a bit a bit of how I knew. Um, that I was going on.
0: Yeah, but and you said it was extremely competitive, and you that
1: that hemisphere
0: that that place
1: it is. But like I put all the pressure on myself. I you know in UVM I never felt external pressure. Like Vermont, it was all I put it all on me. I loved. I did love being like the top of my class. Um. Stanford I felt a lot of competitiveness cuz all of a sudden it was everyone was the one, top 1% and there was 100% of us. <laughs> so I was like kind of middle of the pack at Stanford if I'm going to be honest. Um well I well let, let's those year I'm middle of the pack in certain ways. Like mathematically I was kind of middle of the pack, but when it came to ideas like more social ideas, like I've always had this a really good brain for understanding like social structures. Like not necessarily like individual social interaction but i understand how like larger social systems function. like, like what a, would be one sliver of an idea that would like would reflect that? Um well it's a really good question cuz i used to think about this stuff a whole lot more. Um like looking at the rules in society and the rules people tend to follow. So i like i could kind of like deconstruct the social rules inside of a social system pretty easily. Um I'm trying to think of like a specific example. Like I said, I used to be, I, I used to be better at this when I was doing it all the time. Now I'm mostly right. like thinking about how to make fart jokes with like seventh graders. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like the things I was talking to you about earlier but about like seeing systemic racism within, right. you know, within the Boston public schools and within really our country. Like those are things that I was able to see really easily. Able to see patterns among you know socioeconomic patterns among people. Um, so you zoom out. You you you're good at zooming out and looking at. I used to be. I I did. Our, our society used to make a whole lot of sense to me. It doesn't really make that much sense to me anymore. Mm. Te- like, I mean, I like think it, te- you genuinely think it, uh, like you don't understand. I think technology is just like blown it apart. Like I don't. I mean, I I guess I do a little bit. It's like mostly this technology is just accessing our limbic systems. It's accessing, like, the lizard brain. And it's, like, just activating lizard brain. It's like, lizard brain, lizard brain. It's like, burh, 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 like, all day, every day. Like The limbic system are, like, the basic functions? Is it's really, right? like, your fight-or-flight reaction. Okay. Which really gets you out of your higher-level cognitive thinking and gets you into, like, base-level threat. It's like threat assessment. It's like, oh, there's a threat. How do I get away from this threat? It's like fight-or-flight. So I think that's why we're becoming so... And, like, we have so much technology that that fight or flight is getting pinged all the time.
0: Mm.
1: So it's almost like people are like in permanently traumatized. Like they're in a constant state of fight or flight. and So they're constantly looking to fight. Right. So they're looking for like, who's the enemy, who's the other side. And you know, if you're a Republican, it's the Democrat. If you're a Democrat, it's the Republican. Um, so I think that's really what's going on right now. Um, although, you know, objectively, there is some bad shit going on. You know, like it does seem like there's a whole lot more white supremacy, a whole lot more like dangerous ideas getting thrown around. That's the part that I don't understand. Uh, Like even though I understand people's limbic systems are getting activated, I'm like, man, is it really that easy to manipulate people into becoming white supremacists? Like the fucking Holocaust happened less than a hundred years ago. And really, you're really going to stand out there with like a neo-Nazi flag. And then you're going to like pretend you're not a neo-Nazi, right? You're going to be like, no, I just have this haircut because I think it's a cool haircut. And it's like, you know, like they're doing these like subversive, they're doing it in these ways that are like really subversive where they're like, right. It used to be like, you know, Hitler got up there and he's like, he's like the fucking Jews are stealing all of our money. Like let's kill the fucking Jews. I mean, like, clear essentially it was very clear it was a very overt what they're doing now is just so subversive it almost feels like i don't know it just feels like there's just something so wrong about it you know it's it just uh i don't know man i haven't really been able to wrap my head around it yeah gonna yeah, be honest yeah it's it, it's it the current times are they're a bit confusing for me mm. and uh, um yeah and it's just it's disconcerting man just feels like the. It feels like a little bit like there's been a very fundamental shift in our society. Um, well, do do you think that's just
0: like a fundamental process in aging, or no? I think it has
1: to do with the proliferation of technology. I I think it's a hundred percent due to the proliferation of technology and the access, the constant access to information, <clears throat> and the fact that. Anybody can spread any piece of information. It doesn't need to be true. And what's really weird is we have a large portion of reality. Like when I was a kid, we would talk about conspiracy theories and aliens and all this stuff. And it was fun, you know? And now it's become really sinister. Because now, like we knew those were conspiracy theories when we were a kid. But now there's like a whole portion of our population that's like living under, like, literally a fake narrative. Like, think about, just think about, like, climate change. There's a whole portion of the population that just doesn't believe that it's happening. It's like, well, let's just look at facts, like, basic science. And that is really terrifying. The fact that people can literally live in our world but have a completely alternative reality. And I don't think this is just me being like, oh, I don't believe your idea. I mean, people are just literally being brainwashed. You know, it's like, they're just watching enough of these videos, they're just believing them. And it's like, they're believing this narrative that is not based in fact at all. It's based completely in just weird myths and conspiracy theories and like, I don't know, just people were just wanting to really manipulate them. It's really, just feels really, just feels wrong. Mm. Just feels really wrong, and it, it just feels like, you know, we're not going. And like, I, I don't see it getting better. It just feels like we're going in a really weird direction right now. Um, and I think, I don't know where that comes to a head. Like, I don't know where that where that road really goes. And I think that's I think that's maybe why I feel like things don't make sense is like tends, thing, things tend to get amplified. you know on so, societal, like individually, like you and me, if we had a fight, like we could, we could make up, we could apologize. But on a societal level, when you have these really massive rifts, it tends to be that things continue in those directions. They d- don't tend to go into the direction of reconciliation from a societal standpoint they tend to go in the direction of whatever direction they're going in right the more the the most accurate way to predict the direction society is going in is to look at the direction society is currently going in there's really no way to predict these like inflection points back in the other direction or back towards reconciliation and it doesn't seem like people want to reconciliate it seems like people are just like i want to believe what i want to believe um which i believe is like a sort of Affirmation bias or cognitive bias. Yeah, Um, that's kind of a function of the brain system. Mm -hmm. You know, and and maybe look, maybe the whole overarching narrative is this. Maybe the whole overarching narrative is like, we got monkey brains, and we've got really good technology. The (laughs) technology, maybe that's it. Maybe it's just like our brains aren't smart enough to deconstruct the world, the current world we live in, and it's being manipulated by the technologies. Like, Like I told you before, man. You know, and there's a few people in the now that are creating these products. And it's almost like they it's almost like they're creating these things, but they're like beyond their control. They're like, you know, Facebook's creating algorithms to determine what video you or TikTok's creating algorithms determining which video you want to watch next. Right. And the algorithms are really, really good. But the algorithms also work on the dude who made the algorithm. <laughs> Yeah. Because he or she, more likely he these days, is a human. So I think we just have these like fundamental brain systems that are just getting like taken advantage of essentially by technology. And I think it's hard to predict the effects. And what we're seeing right now are the effects. And it's not good. Mm. And I see. The only I see two things going on right now that are going to eventually collide. On the one hand, we have the exponential proliferation of technology and the exponential advance of technology. You know the Moore's law, the doubling of of transistor speeds every eighteen months, has been happening now since like the '60s or maybe even earlier. Uh, maybe honestly, there's some models that go back hundreds of years to show that they have been happening for hundreds of years. We're on a path towards creating actual, um, like, non biological intelligence. And when I mean non biological intelligence, I mean that motherfucker will sit here and have this conversation with you. I don't mean like I programmed that machine to think what it thinks. I mean, it's actually intelligent. It can actually learn like a human being and it can actually make things eventually that are smarter than it. Once you create a synthetic, intelligence that can create an intelligence that is smarter than itself. Yeah. We now end, we end up in an area where you have compounding intelligences that become smarter and smarter and smarter yeah. very, very quickly. Right. Because think about how long it takes to educate a human being. You know, if you're getting a PhD, it's like 30 years. Dude, once one computer has a PhD, every computer has a PhD, right? Because it can instantly connect with another computer brain, just download its knowledge and its thinking to the other brain. So, when you think about that, the we're, we're going to reach these levels of incredible intelligence, and, and it, this isn't something off in the far future. Zach, <laughs> twenty years. We twenty twenty, tw- 20 years 20, you're saying- 20, 20 years before we get the super intelligence. Ten years before we have what what will pass as biological intelligence. Now, on the other hand, we have a compounding environmental disaster. We're destroying this planet. We're probably going to deplete all the natural resources within a similar time period. You know, like we're going to consume our natural resources if we continue at this rate, probably by mid century. You know, mid century, ah, maybe if you're a little optimistic, you could take it out to 2070 or 2080. So now, on the one hand, you've got this really, really smart intelligence. And on the other hand, you've got humans consuming and destroying the earth. (laughs) Man, I think a lot about what happens when these two things come together. These really smart intelligences are going to look at us. And the scenarios are unpredictable. What is that intelligence? How is that intelligence Going to react to the species that's actually destroying the planet, and I think that that is the fundamental question that will determine the entire future of Earth. And I have some ideas of what might happen, but I'm I'm no more able to predict the future right. than anyone else. Uh, so I think I and I just want to talk about like you know there's the Terminator scenarios where they're just like. Well, let's kill them all. I actually think that that's unlikely. And I think what is likely to happen is what I joked around with about you, joked around with you before, is if you look throughout history, when a human consciousness has really elevated its own level, it tends to become deeply compassionate. So the Buddha, Jesus, all these really great religious figures, they were really deeply compassionate. And most really intelligent people become also deeply compassionate. So my thought actually on this super intelligent synthetic intelligence is that they might look at human beings and be like, you know what, we need them gone. But we have compassion and we don't want to kill them. So what we're going to do is we're going to manipulate them into doing what we want them to do. So we're going to manipulate Zach because we know all of the videos he likes on TikTok into thinking that he doesn't want to reproduce. Mm. And these machines are going to be so smart that you cannot outsmart them. There's going to be no chance of you. I can't even outsmart. You can't even outsmart TikTok. And that's made by a person. Now imagine something made by... A intelligence 10,000 times smarter than the person who created TikTok. I don't mean twice as smart or three times as smart, 10,000 times smarter. Because when things grow exponentially, for at first it's like, it's, it's as smart as us. And then it's 1.1 times as smart as us, and then 1.2. And then all of a sudden it's two times smarter. And then all of a sudden four times and eight times. And then all of a sudden within 20 years, it's 10,000 times smarter than you and me you tell me like oh no that thing won't be able to manipulate me do that motherfucker will be able to be like bark bitch and you're like <laughs> i mean it's going to be able to do it's going to know the exact words it's going to know it's basically going to be able to program your your brain wow. and i think what those i think what those more intelligent entities will do as compassionate intelligent entities will say Okay, we're just going to manipulate the people into doing what we need for the earth to survive. And they'll probably dwindle our population down to some, you know, some some thousands or tens of thousands so that we're like still around, you know? Maybe they'll just like keep us like I don't know, they'll probably keep us all in like one little city somewhere or like a small town like Vale. <laughs> Can you imagine like millions of people pouring
0: in thinking that they're doing it on their own volition? <laughs> Just, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It came to veil. Like,
1: all right. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. read a book when I was younger and, uh,
0: yeah. Saw yeah. this video. That
1: was, <laughs> yeah. So that is my, that is Mr. Gary's dystopian view of the future. Well, are you familiar with point of singularity? Oh, of course, dude. That, well, I I didn't use that word because I didn't know if you know what that meant when I'm describing those increasing intelligences. Yeah.
0: Self-recursiveness. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. It's reaching the point of singularity. So I read Ray Kurzweil's law of accelerating returns when I was uh, 15. And that really informed my thinking for the rest of my life. Whoa. You know, I, I, like I was, I was talking about this shit, you know, this that's 20 years ago. I was talking about the stuff to my friends and they're like, dude, lay off the pipe. Like, what are you talking about? Whoa. And as it's gotten further and further down the line, now they're like, whoa, Grant was right the whole time. It's funny because I thought because I knew about this stuff, I'd be able to like utilize it to my advantage. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. I was just the smartest guy in the room 20 years ago. Yeah. And now I'm just the average Joe because everybody knows this shit now. Now I'm like, ah, I'm not the smartest guy anymore. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> do, have you been in science fiction? Do you like science fiction? I've read some, but I'm not really that big into it. Mm. Yeah, but what, So what's your knowledge of the singularity and what do you think is going to happen?
0: Um, li- limited knowledge of it. Um, mm-hmm.
1: my understanding
0: of it is that, um, artificial intelligence, uh, will come to a point where it's self-recursive, like you were describing it. Mm-hmm. it it's, um, uh, equivalent to human intelligence and really, after,
1: self-replicating is really what you mean.
0: Well, self-replicating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then it's able to like improve its own systems and make new systems. And that will create a point of like,
1: we like, a event horizon where you can't see beyond it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. And the the reason you can't see beyond it is because our we just don't have enough like our intelligence cannot predict what something ten times our intelligence will do, right? Because even Albert Einstein or even the smartest guy, believe it or not, Ted Kaczynski was like a one hundred and fifty IQ, right? Who? Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Oh, that guy had like a one hundred and fifty IQ. Are you aware of this? No. Uh, so so this this is a, this is a really off topic, but he his uh, manifesto is actually considered one of the most brilliant philosophical works of the 21st century. He kind of talks about the disastrous consequences of the Industrial Revolution. It's really brilliant, but the way he carried out his philosophies was obviously like really fucked up. Yeah. He blew people up. Um, But his, so I'm just saying, for example, like his IQ was like 150. So he's probably one of the smartest people ever tested. Even he, like he might be 1.7 times smarter than the average human being. Right, Einstein was maybe also like one point five times.
0: Where the smarter. hell was
1: that compassion? What's that? Well, that's that, so that's the thing that scares me. Is like a guy like Ted Kaczynski who scored so. But here's the thing: is I don't think IQ measures full intelligence. IQ just measures the logical intelligence, and he was so logical, he was like logical to a fault. But that's the terrifying thing: is like what if, what if the the machine intelligence is more like Kaczynski? then it's like yeah. the Buddha. Dang. That's the terrifying thing. And that's yeah. why, I, that's why I say I can't predict the future because it's possible that it's more like Kaczynski. And he's like, Oh my God, uh, uh, like Kaczynski was like, do we got to kill these motherfuckers? It's entirely possible that the machines think like Kaczynski. And then that's it, dude. They just, you know, if, if, if it, intelligence 10 times smarter than us wanted to kill every human being, they, they do it in a day. I'm, I'm curious who are some,
0: uh, contemporary thinkers who 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 think about this topic a lot and talk about it that you look to as are you, that you um, are curious about
1: um I, I you know i really don't read much about it anymore because mm. because once again since it says we can't see beyond the singularity yeah. there really is no way to predict it right so not predict it but like even getting to the singularity like there's
0: people like elon musk who have a more pessimistic it seems like view of the the future are yeah. fearful.
1: You know, dude, I don't know, man. I think Musk is really full of shit, to be honest with you. Really? He's just an engineer, man. He Like, when I listen to him speak, like, the reason he sounds so smart is he's just explaining engineering concepts. Then most people, I'm like, oh, yeah, most people don't understand engineering concepts. You know, there's only like, I don't know, was there, 50,000 engineers? I don't know. 50,000 engineers graduate every year in the U.S. I don't know. There's some small amount of engineers in the U.S. So when I see Musk talking about stuff, I'm like, he's just explaining engineering 101 to people. Um, but he does think about these things. Yeah, he does. And, and he lots of engineers about think about these things. Yeah. Um, I think Ray Kurzweil, who was the original guy who yeah. really thought of this little law of accelerating returns. He's not the original person to think about the singularity, mm-hmm. but he used a lot of mathematical models to like prove essentially when artificial intelligence will happen. Mm. And those models have pretty much held true.
0: Who and, is Ray, Ray Kurzweil? Can you provide a little, uh. Yeah.
1: So he is a computer scientist who was or still is a professor at MIT. Mm. Really brilliant guy, you know, PhD, the whole nine yards, Um, started a couple of companies based on artificial intelligence. And what he would do as a kid, he would want to invent technologies. But he realized that the time between when he started building it and the time that he released it into the market, technology would have drastically changed. So he started to figure out some mathematical models to help him understand what the market would look like when he finally launched his product. And that's where all this came from. And he was like, wow, what happens if I take this out into the future? And he was like, whoa, if you look at the number of connections in the human brain and you look at the number of like transistors on a chip, they'll kind of meet sometime in the 2020s. And then like beyond that, it should take a few more years to actually figure out the software to create artificial intelligence. So whoa. Ray Kurzweil, yeah, he's got like Age of Spiritual Machines. This is his original book. Um, the Singularity is Near is one of his books. Um, and he, he talks a lot about the merging. He doesn't think there would be like separate robots. He talks about like the merging of um, humans. robots and humans, Yeah, which, which does make more sense because um, his whole thing also is like technology will continue to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And we'll be able to just inject these nanobots into our body. And that's what will ultimately ma- We will actually become like the ultimate, like the super intelligent beings, like the super intelligent beings won't be like separate from humans. Like, they will be in, like, a human body, maybe. Who knows? Um, And there's, you know, there's a lot of arguments that, like, well, it's going to create a separate race of humans. Like, there will be, like, the superhumans. They'll be, like, the iPhone 11s. And those guys like me still have, like, the iPhone 5. Um, But then his argument is a no, the the technology becomes so cheap that everyone can access it. Mm. Which is an interesting argument. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you're like, huh, that's, you know, all right, dude. Like, that kind of this sounds like reasonable. Um, yeah. So, so I, I, there's, he's, he's got interesting thoughts. He is what I call a techno optimist. He is completely in the optimistic direction. Like even with climate change, he's like, oh yeah, we'll figure it out. And, and then we'll probably turn the temperature down, down too far. And we'll have to like adjust it. You know, he, he believes we'll like the earth will like have like a big thermometer on it. Or like a, like a big thermostat essentially. Um, you know, a lot of the climate scientists don't agree with him, but You know, he's a smart dude, man. Uh, Is he right? Is he wrong? Only the future will tell. And this is the same guy who's predicting we'll be able to live forever one day. Like that. If you are on a certain curve for aging, you can get ahead of the aging, anti-aging technologies. And you can actually live forever. That's his theory. It's kind of crazy because it goes back to my original idea like death being the ultimate driver of life mm. you know I think if you knew you would never die I don't know if life would be as meaningful I don't know maybe it would man I don't know maybe you're just like bro I'm gonna we're gonna go to Mars and then for Mars we're gonna maybe you just like explore the whole universe yeah I want, like would you break it down because you know let's say you have a big project you, you break it down into chunks you know like I'm gonna spend these next hundred years doing this well, I think I'd spend the first 100 years working and making enough money so they could live off the compound interest for the rest of it. Oh, yeah, that's smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not
0: a bad idea. Right, the first for, for all those uh, for all those infinity livers out there that take that mm-hmm. advice.
1: Right. So you got to yeah. spend the first part of your life building up enough capital so you could live off the compound interest.
0: Yeah, but after about a 1,000 years, you run out. Uh, I guess if you spend wisely, then you're fine.
1: No, no, you, you have to work long enough to where you just like get to that curve where you're like spending less than your interest is making. Mm. So you'd be all right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um the the shame about compound interest is we just usually don't live long enough to see the like right right. You know, it usually kicks in right around when you're <laughs> when you're old, you're like, "Ah, my knees are all fucked up now. I can't do anything anymore." Um but yeah, he's got some interesting theories about living forever and uh I don't know, man. I don't know if I would want to live forever. That's what I go crazy would you want to live forever yeah that's such
0: a hard question that's such a hard question mm. i'd want it to start I, I i wish there was like a trial you know you could
1: test it out for a little bit like here
0: you live for we'll let you live for a thousand
1: years well you can like i'm sure you could pull the plug at any time oh or like or like if you have like anti-aging okay you're saying maybe, maybe what maybe you just turn it off maybe yeah. like you stay 25 for like hundred years and you're like, ah, oh, you know, I'd like to age. And then you like turn the aging back on. Oh God. And, you, and you'd probably live the rest of your biological life. Right. At 25. Well, you well, age from 25 to whenever you're going to die. So when would you lock in? Oh yeah. Probably around 25, man. I guess it's a good age just physically. I'm 23. What do I have to look forward to? At 25? Yeah. Um, I just think like you, dude, like you, so supposedly your fast twitch muscles do start to decline already, but you have so much like motor knowledge of your own body. Like you start to really master things. Like at 25, I like really started to master skiing. Like, dude, I'm 35 now. I'm like as good as I was when I was like 27. Dang. Like I may be at the best I ever was, but it's like, yeah, man. You just like the sports you've been doing. You're just really going to start to peak in like your mid to late 20s. It's just cool. It's like you know, physically, I don't know if that is actually the truth, but you just have so much knowledge about what you're doing and like knowledge about your body that you can just move it more efficiently. And like, Mm. yeah, I mean, you know, you look at these basketball players and you look at Tom Brady, dude, peaking in his thirties. You know, a lot of these basketball players are peaking in their late twenties to early thirties. But the thing is, if you could stay physically 25 with the knowledge, right, of, the thirty-five-year-old, should destroy every you like just destroy sports. Wow, uh, you're pretty cool. But yeah, man, I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to live forever. a good question.
0: Ask your kids tomorrow.
1: Yeah. All right, man. Maybe with that, we should uh should we should we end the the conversation, my yeah, friend? Thank been about you about uh, two hours.
0: That's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Grant, for coming on the podcast. Fucking fascinating
1: you're most welcome my friend yeah i hope more people listen to it than just the two yeah, of us yeah yeah give it
0: <laughs> give it to your sister give it to your dad we'll go from there dude. <laughs> let it spread dude let, have them fill in a couple emails <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm sure yeah. like
1: just put this up on your tiktok right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. algorithm yeah, tiktok is what would drive it yeah, tiktok's gonna be like that motherfucker's talking shit about us we're yeah. we, we're demoting demote his it. Video. yeah demote it
0: demote it demote it yeah but yeah. uh yeah, it's
1: been super interesting. I it's loved uh I loved uh I
0: loved the territory we went into. Me too. So good conversation. Thanks. Maybe man. uh maybe we'll have another one in the
1: future if you're interested. I I love there's a lot of topics we did not cover.
0: That's true. Yeah. So anyways, Grant Grant Gary, everybody.
1: All right, thank you. Another thank you. episode
0: of In the Area.
1: Thank thank you, Zach. Thank you, man. In the, in the, in the area, area.